Retreat! House Democrats plot strategy at the fancy Lansdowne Resort and Spa. How has the first 100 days gone for them? The Fury Theory starts right now. The Fury Theory Podcast brought to you by EFB Advocacy. I'm joined by my colleagues Adam Belmar and John Easton. John Easton, we start uh, typically at the beginning of every Congress. You start with a planning retreat to plot out the strategy. Democrats didn't do their planning retreat till this week. It's 100 days in. Thinking about this at the at the beginning of this Congress would have been more helpful if they had a strategy, don't you think? I mean, what have they accomplished in this first 100 days? Well, remember, they, they really got dogged by the shutdown, and that was in part their fault. I mean, yes, Trump got most of the blame. But uh, I think that in terms of an accomplishment, there's sort of an internal accomplishment and, and, a, and an external accomplishment. And the internal caucus accomplishment, I would say, was – Pelosi staring down the president during the shutdown and, and everybody f- feeling like she got a win. <clears throat> I think that bolstered her standing within the caucus. And, and I think that gave her some breathing room to help manage the caucus. So that leads to like the biggest accomplishment, I think, of the first 100 days was, this might sound a little counterintuitive, but impeachment. The fact they didn't go down that road. Oh, that's interesting. Which meant that uh, because, again, I think that because there was confidence in the speaker after the first part of that 100 days uh, with how she was dealing with the president, uh, they gave her room to run on, on impeachment. So when she shut the impeachment um, momentum down, I think that that really gave the, the, the caucus the ability to start looking at legislative objectives, and that helped them. And Adam Belmont, thinking about politics these days, legislative objectives, policy items, issues versus visceral things. You know, the president doesn't really care that much about policy, but he he makes all these big pronouncements. He's such a big personality. And talking about the stars that have come out of this first hundred days, they're not really issue people. They're more like personalities themselves. Who's the biggest star, do you think, who came out of this first hundred days for the Democrats? Oh, in terms of the star, John Fury, I think it's uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. No doubt AOC is the top ticket, the star of the 116th Congress, certainly on the Democratic side. And, uh, you know, really the first 100 days, John, has uh, been about sorting themselves out. You're right. They, they came in. They were a little off-footing. The issue with the State of the Union, the shutdown. Uh, as a messaging guy, I might say that it looks good from afar but it's far from good. They they really don't have anything beyond HR1, their one meaningful legislative accomplishment to, to speak of. But I, I like what John Easton is saying about what they've stopped themselves from doing. I think that's a, that's a fairly important thing to acknowledge. But talking about that, the big bust for them, I think they put all their eggs in the Robert Mueller bucket, basket, um, and it didn't really pan out for them, and they keep trying to go after it. If it's not going to be Robert Mueller, now John Easton, instead of talking about tax policy and how it impacts lower-income people, they're talking about Donald Trump's tax returns. They're still looking for that, that big thing that can knock the president out. They have, they've put, parked impeachment, but they still want to impeach this guy, don't they? They do, and, and it, that, a lot of that's coming from their base voters. It's coming from the 2020 Democratic presidential candidates, So, which kind of shows you the parameters of how – how they need to act every day and every week in terms of the issues coming at them. I think there's an expectation that they fight on this, that they fight Trump uh, every step of the way on every issue. And 
And, of course, this being one of the biggest of all, which is taking him down and taking him out, even before the 2020 election. I mean, that that is really, I think, with the goal of a lot of um, certainly the base voter Democrats. But that's – yeah, I think that that is part of it. And it, I think it does get them sidetracked a lot. So uh, outside of Ocasio-Cortez, there have also been other kind of breakthrough stars. Um, the, Talab, the, um, the woman who – has a little problem with the anti-Semitic stuff. She's um, not the only one. Right. Talk a little bit about some of these, these other characters. <clears throat> so one thing that we know is that with the Democrats in power now in the, in the House of Representatives, about 70% of the people in that caucus have never uh, been in a majority. And two-thirds of them um, or less, or of the, of the freshman class has never hold, held a, a political office before now. So there's a lot of neophytes there. And while they squabble in their personalities and, and seeking uh, identity politics, everything's coming to the fore. And the Democrats are trying to tramp it, tamp it down, create some unanimity, have some you know, purpose as a caucus, but they really can't get outside of their own way. And so some of these younger members who are speaking very much about uh, Palestinian issues or being Muslims in Congress, they are evidencing everything that is great about our democracy and free speech, as upsetting as it is to people and to Jews in general, of which I am one. Um, I don't like this assertion of anti-Semitism, whether it's an accusation or it's uh, statements that are made, but you know what, we live in a country where speech is free, and I love the fact that all of these folks feel confident that they can get downright biscuity in hearings and, and, and speak for their constituents. Biscuity, I like that. Yeah, I like that uh, term. So I'm going to talk to some other stars real quick. Uh, I think Richie Neal, who is the chairman right of the Ways and Means Committee, he's done a really good job of trying to keep things together. He's tried to, he's pressing on the tax returns, but not really. He wants to talk about other issues. He's trying to put together an extenders package. He's he's trying to be the the moderate voice in the caucus who shows responsibility. John Easton, Maxine Waters, and Jared Nadler. I'm not sure if they're stars, but they are. They're on TV a lot, and they're all over the place. Uh, Maxine Waters uh, did a hearing yesterday with uh, all the banking executives. She had an assertion talking about why she asked them all, why aren't you doing student loans anymore, forgetting that Barack Obama made it impossible for banks to give out student loans because uh, he wiped it, he nationalized the program. So she looked like kind of an idiot. Um, but Jared Nadler uh, is going after uh, Donald Trump. He's uh, this big personality who hates, apparently hates Trump back, going way back when. And he's the one, John Easton, who really wants to impeach this president. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's going to? Well, I think this is largely Pelosi's call at this point to my earlier comments. But these 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 chairmen, chairwomen, have jurisdiction over, uh, you know, overseeing, you know, the, the executive branch and a lot of the functions of the executive branch. And so, of course, they're on TV a lot. But, um, you know, I think, you know, really the, the, the star, in my, my opinion, yes, I know these, these are getting their 15 minutes of fame, these folks you just mentioned. And, and with the Maxine Waters and Secretary Mnuchin. The oh, that was band. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it, they, it just goes to show you that um, I think they really try to get these members of Congress, particularly chairmen, really try to get under the skin of these witnesses, and particularly cabinet members. And if you let them 
it's a victory for right. the for right. the uh, those up on the dais. But I think uh, Speaker Pelosi right now is the star. And I, I really do. Let me turn the tables for a second for our audience to have a benefit of your perspective. You were with the leadership uh, in the Republican Party in the House of Representatives for a very long time, including the first hundred days greatest success story, a contract with America. What? Is, is there a template for success in the first 100 days? And how, if that's true, how can you measure Democrats against that metric? Well, this is where I go back to the whole idea of setting the agenda. The Democrats have not set up an agenda. They did not campaign on an agenda. Their only agenda was uh, to try to get this president to stop being president. So I think that they've kind of failed from a, a, just a perspective of getting their team together. When Hastert was speaker... Uh, even when Newt was speaker, we always started with a planning retreat where we started with a budget. And from the budget comes things like getting the spending bills done, trying to set up whether you're going to cut taxes. You have to put a budget down. They failed on – they decided not to do a budget, which I think is a big failure from their perspective. And then they failed to get, actually even set up the spending caps. And so I think that, that that means for the rest of the year they're just kind of flailing along trying to figure this out. And I think that ultimately John Easton – talking about and i like how you turn the tables on me um i'm gonna turn the tables back on you they fail to get the spending caps done what does that mean for the appropriations process you know that's actually important for a lot of folks you know let's say for example increasing nih funding which is something that all people agree is the right thing to do well i wouldn't say all because the president sure doesn't think so well the president's just says stuff his budget's always dead on arrival uh what do you think of this does for the appropriations process not much and, and I would say that uh, I would disagree that it was a complete failure. Yes, they didn't actually uh, pass a the budget caps deal in, in, in general, but they did – it's called deeming the appropriations levels. They did set the, the, the amounts for each of the appropriations bills. Uh, so – they that, did? Yeah, they did. That was a rule that they passed through the, the rules committee. Now, again, they didn't they, – they failed to get – the big bill on the floor because they didn't have enough votes, but they did get the rule through, which is going to set the amounts for the to be able to go forward in the appropriations subcommittees. So that actually was a was a under the radar win for them because they can keep moving forward um, now. But does it matter overall? Not really, because the, the 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 deal to raise the budget caps because they have to because of the, the very strict sequestration levels that were enacted back in 2011. They got to get over those, and they will do that because it's above everybody's pay grade. It's going to be it's going to be determined by really Mitch McConnell, Speaker Pelosi, and Donald Trump, essentially, and and mainly Speaker Pelosi and and, and uh, Mitch McConnell. And they're going to get a deal done. Uh, there was a news out yesterday that said that that they were already starting talks to get that done. I think part of that probably was was started because the House did fail to get the big package done. On raising the budget caps, so um, you know, I mean, that's. I think it's going to be fine. Actually, I, I think they're going to get a deal done, but the Senate's probably not going to do anything uh, other than they're going to have their budget. I'm sorry, the Appropriations Committee hearings soon. But other than that, I don't think a lot's going to get done till the fall. So, uh, backing up to other legislative items, uh, Adam Belmar, and we've worked on a lot of immigration issues in the past. The president is kind of firing a bunch of people at the Department of Homeland Security. Stephen Miller seems to be in charge of immigration policy, although the president reasserted that, no, he's actually in charge. Um, do you think all this new crisis stuff is going to compel any kind of action 
to reach agreement on immigration? And how do you think this plays out politically for the president and for the Democrats? Yeah, sadly, I see all of this as political fodder for the 2020 campaign and not indicative of progress legislatively in Congress to help you know, put a policy in place. So ultimately, I, I think that uh, immigration is not going to get solved. It's just something that the president is being proven out. It is a crisis at the border. There are a lot more people coming across. And even as we see him firing the DHS secretary and her deputy to make way for a new guy, there is nothing that this Congress is going to do to help them uh, secure the border right now, and that's exactly the way the president wants it. And the reason why I, I, I ask this question in the context of the House Democrats is that Democrats always talk about wanting to do something about immigration and actually never do anything about immigration, John Easton. Um, I think the president has created this crisis. Uh, the crisis is getting worse. Uh, I think it's actually having an impact on the humanitarian, but also it has an impact on the economy. Um, and I think that the president, on the one hand, is creating this illegal immigration crisis. On the other hand, Jared Kushner is trying to get a deal on legal immigration. Um, John Easton, thinking about this issue, is there any chance that they can get any kind of deal with the House Democrats passing a legal an illegal immigration bill uh, and the Senate picking it up? Because I do think that the House Democrats are much more closely aligned to the Senate than, than conservative Republicans would ever be. Yeah, that might be true. I, I just I don't see it based on what you're seeing, hearing, reading. Even though it, it's it feels like, and you and you are hearing that the crisis grows on on the border, that the uh, courts, the immigration courts, and judges are being completely overwhelmed. The detention centers are being completely overwhelmed. The border agents are completely overwhelmed. I think all that is nobody's disputing that really, but I I think that. The pr- biggest problem is I think that the political divide on this is getting worse. Yeah. So and and you see that on both sides, you know, each election cycle, they're willing to take it to the next election. Right. Let's just find out and we'll see. You know, we're, we're right and we're going to prove it at the election time. So I think we might be there. You know, once again, it, it just you look at the White House and are they capable of making a deal? You remember, we were close to that one deal. This was, uh, I think, December of 17. We were very close to, to a deal. It fell apart. I think they got so close that um, it was just too close for, for Trump, for Stephen Miller, the, that whole band there. And then with the Democrats, I mean, you know, are they willing to compromise on this? I'm not feeling that they are at all. So it's, as Trump would say, it's sad. It's sad. <laughs> I'm so sick of it. It, I, I, it for the country's sake. I, I hope that we can get to a compromise. Okay, so let me finish this this podcast up with one, two final questions. One final question: What is the the one issue that you think that they're able going to be able to come to an agreement with outside of the budget appropriations caps, which they have to come to agree with? Is there any legislative issue? Let's say immigration, drug pricing. Um, spending, any issue that they will be able to come to any kind of agreement with the House Democrats and the President? I mean, I'll just say that the only one that I can think of, and even that has its um, big question marks, is infrastructure. Because uh, obviously it it, it provides goodies for everybody, and and it seems, you know, the least ideological, clearly, it's infrastructure, it's roads and bridges. But that's the one I can think about. The the others, it, it just... There's so many layers. It's so complex. And for one side to give, 
it, it's costly politically. And they both basically have to agree uh, to let go a little bit and, and suffer a little bit of consequence with their respective bases in order to get something done. I'm talking about immigration, health care, drug price, all three of those. Uh, it, there's no other way to do it, and I'm not sure the two stars are, are willing to make that kind of a sacrifice. Adam Belmar, do you think there's any way that the House Democrats can give President Trump any kind of legislative victory? Nope, and they will not. There, were, there is absolutely nothing outside of the core competencies of doing the job, which would be spending bills that will be accomplished in the first session of the 116th Congress. I think that I, I agree with both. I agree with that, um, and I do do think that Mitch McConnell agrees with that because he's just focused on nominations. All right, given that, given the fact that we don't think that the, the House Democrats are going to give President Trump any kind of victory, does that make their ability to keep their majority stronger or weaker? Do you think that they're going to have a better chance of keeping the majority if they don't give President Trump a victory, or do you think that they need to get some legislative accomplishments to keep their majority? Uh, go ahead. You know how you, you, know how you, you, you starve a fire? You starve it of oxygen, and that's exactly what they need to do for the president. Give him nothing. Take from him everything. And they will try, and they will fail. He will be reelected in 2020. Do you think House Democrats keep the House? Uh, yes, I do, actually. John Easton. Yeah, I think they keep the House in large part because Donald Trump is on the ballot in 2020. And if they do reelect Donald Trump, it, they will also um, keep the Democrats in, in the majority as a bit of a check. My own view is that the House Democrats put themselves in great peril if they are pushed further to the left by the presidential candidates and don't get any legislative accomplishments for all these districts that are very moderate districts. And I think that uh, I would give the Republicans a 51% chance of taking back the majority. Uh, John Easton, what are you buying or selling this this week? I'm going to sell, and I'm going to sell the... Yesterday, uh, uh, the Attorney General uh, Barr testified uh, in Congress, and uh, I'm going to sell the, the the very knee-jerk, quick, and I think unwise decision of the of the Democrat Democrat leaders to react to his testimony the way they did. Um, he talked about in a in a line of question. He talked about uh, that there was a high likelihood of spying. He used the word spying on on political campaigns. I think he was obviously referring to the Trump campaign. And they they just went ballistic on it. Um, I guess maybe it was the, the use of the word spy instead of surveillance. I, I don't know what it was exactly, but the overall point here is that uh, what I'm selling is to to um, you know, really cut the AG, like the attorney general like that at the knees in his early days. So that, that does nothing for the United States. And I, I would hate it if that was done to Holder. And I'm sure, I'm sure it was on, on many occasions, but that is a, a position that you, you need to treat with a little bit more respect, with a little more reverence and with a little less ideology. I mean, he was confirmed under George HW Bush unanimously mm. by Democrats and Republicans, you're telling me that this man has changed that much that now all of a sudden you just don't trust him at all in that office? Because that's what some were saying. They don't trust him. They, trust, they don't trust him. They trust Mueller. I just think that, that based on everything I've seen, Bobby, he does not exude that one bit. And I think that it was a very unwise and unhealthy jump uh, on their part. He's a pretty man with great integrity. I think you're yeah, right. Great. What are you buying or selling? Adam I, I am buying wonder. Not the bread, 
but just general wonder. In the last few days, we have seen the first ever picture of a black hole. And a living former pope has spoken up on the sex abuse scandal in the Catholic Church. I never thought I could say either one of those two things. We are so easily unimpressed by everything, and I think we should all open our eyes by wonder. Amazing things are coming from science and changes in our society. Appreciate them when you see it. Bye, bye, bye. Oh, that's that's inspiring. Um, I am going to buy, talking about wonder, and in many ways I've already bought, the new organ at the St. Peter's Church. It's just going up. It's going to be at the Vigil Mass uh, on Saturday, and I think actually on Sunday they'll have the Easter Mass. Uh, it's a big organ. It's got a lot of. It's going to have a lot, a lot of. It has a lot of pipes. A lot of pipes. <laughs> a lot of pipes. It's going to be very, very loud. And it, hopefully, it sounds good. Um, but if you're in Capitol Hill and you want to go to a mass and hear an organ, uh, they got a new one at St. Peter's. It was expensive. I hope it sounds good. But I, I'm going to buy that one. And with that. Uh, thank you for listening to the Fear Theory Podcast brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means... Excellent for business. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. <laughs>